when this opportunity came to me from CVS Health, which is a really interesting opportunity. And we we're obviously in the healthcare space. And that's what got me excited because to influence and make healthcare more accessible, more convenient, more simplified for consumers is just a honestly as a, a mission, right? A mission-driven <laughs> digital experience. That was yeah, super exciting. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hello, everyone. We are so happy to have our next guest, Tracy Weber. Tracy is a SVP of Digital Products, UX and Operations at CVS Health, managing their digital product strategy, roadmap, and execution. Prior to joining CVS Health, Tracy was the general manager of Marketplace and Digital Ecosystems of IBM, where she served as the president and COO of the Guild Group and held several other positions at companies like Citibank, Travelocity, Barnes & Noble. Wow, what a resume. Welcome to the show, Tracy. So excited to have you here today. Thank you so much, Mata. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with just learning a little bit about who Tracy is. Tell us a bit about yourself, your career. Obviously, I've tried to summarize it, but maybe we'd love to hear from you and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I think, honestly, a lot of it was luck. I was in consulting very early on in my career, both pre-B school and post-B school, and ended up at BCG in the very start of the internet in the late 1990s and had uh, the fortune of getting to do an internet travel startup in literally in 1999, 2000. And that just launched me into digital and it's been a fantastic ride. So much has changed over (laughs) the last uh, 20, 25 years in terms of literally how we do everything in our life, the digital has changed it. And I've gotten to experience digital in lots of different industries. So I've been in online travel, I've been in retail, I've been in financial services, I have some experience in education, and now getting to do healthcare, which is just literally the icing on the cake for me from a digital perspective. How did you end up picking CVS Health? I think a lot of the uh, this podcast is also about people's journeys. How did you pick them as a company? You had so many experiences, you probably had a lot of things you could have picked from. What was it about CVS that kind of got you to join? Yeah, sure. Well, and maybe I'll even pause on what I did right before CVS. I was for five years at IBM uh, running digital for IBM. And that was a B2B experience. My first true B2B where you're actually selling to a business. I've certainly been in industries where it's B2B to C. You're reaching a C through the B. But IBM was my first B2B experience. And it was great from a technology perspective to be on the side of the technology and learning about how to run a software as a service business, you know, how to sell into clients, how the technology really works. Because at the end of the day, we use all that technology to build capabilities in any industry. Seeing digital transformation from that lens was super beneficial to me. But I missed the consumer piece. I really missed the consumer piece. And then when this opportunity came to me from CVS Health, which is a really interesting opportunity, and we're obviously in the healthcare space, and that's what got me excited to influence and make 
healthcare more accessible, more convenient, more simplified for consumers is just honestly as a, a mission, right? A mission driven <laughs> digital experience. Yeah, that's awesome. uh, it was super exciting. But at the same time, it has, we have a retail business, we have an insurance business. We are a lot of businesses in one. And we have a really important B2B business because a lot of how we reach consumers is through clients, whether it be on commercial insurance side or through government payers, et cetera. So for me, it wrapped a lot of stuff together that I thought I could do wow. and really have a good impact both you know, on the, the company, but also on the country. Wow, that's awesome. And tell us about your role today. You know, What does your do- role encompass? How does a day for, for you look like on average? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, multiple digital assets that we have responsibility for at CVS. And Hopefully some of the listeners are users of some of those digital assets that we have. Our CVS.com and our CVS Pharmacy app, which encompasses all the things that you can buy from us digitally, plus the pharmacy aspect. And plus we do have omni-channel experiences like buy online, pick up in store. We also have a bigger pharmacy business than that. So we've got actually three pharmacies within CVS Health and we've got the digital assets around those. So in addition to the retail pharmacy, we also have our uh, Caremark portal, which is utilized by a lot of consumers, as well as we have B2B versions of those for clients who want to serve their customers through a more white-labeled experience. And Caremark's a, essentially a, a payer behind the scenes of a pharmacy, but also does mail-order prescriptions for consumers who get kind of 90-day recurring uh, prescriptions. And then we have our specialty business, which is a much more complicated for very complex diseases, for expensive medications. There's a whole experience around that. And then we've got our Aetna insurance business. So I've got teams that work across all of those. And what's interesting, what I'm spending most of my time on, because we have really good teams in all of those areas, is really thinking about how do we leverage the components of those things into a more end-to-end experience for consumers, which is the power we have as CBS Health, I think, to influence and change the healthcare system is to bring some of those assets together for consumers. So I'm spending a lot of time on that. And then also a lot of time on just how do we become more efficient by sharing components across those as well. And even like in design, for example, not having multiple different design systems, but having a single design system, obviously with some ability to have different branding, because the Aetna brand is different than the CVS brand, but but the ability to really to leverage some of that so we can move even faster than we have been moving over the last couple of years. <laughs> That's really cool. I do use CVS as my pharmacy. Oh, good. <laughs> it's really interesting. I, I have noticed a lot of improvements there where I don't have to fill things anymore and I get texts and it feels a lot more streamlined than it used to be. And I've noticed in the past, like, Maybe six months. That's great. So really cool. It's been really cool to observe as a customer on my side. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's great. That will make my team very happy. It's, uh, <laughs> no, the- but it's true. It's really true. <laughs> and, you know. Well, we've been working hard at it. So yeah, we've, that's great to hear. <laughs> I think a lot of the... We've talked to a lot of leaders here on the podcast about what COVID meant for them. Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic... It does definitely changed the way I interact with CVS, which is my pharmacy, and I'm sure it has for many other consumers. How did the pandemic alter the strategy for you and your team and what you are doing? How are you thinking about new experiences that are basically based on the changes we've seen in consumer behaviors because of the pandemic? Yeah, it changed a lot for us within digital at CVS Health. First and foremost, we had a, a big shock to the system. Everybody moving back to working at home, and we'd been a very 
kind of in-person agile shop, teams working together, and all of a sudden we were all... And then add on top of that, we had to deliver new capabilities. So even before the vaccine, we had to get COVID testing programs up and running in all of our stores. We had a B2B testing program. All that stuff had to be you know, pulled together very quickly on accelerated timelines. And then when the vaccination came, again, the teams had to kick into gear. And that really just kept coming, right? Because the CDC was changing guidelines, changing recommendations. Every time there was a change, we had to update the site, we had to update the scheduler, we had to improve the scheduler. We learned so much from vaccine scheduling when there weren't a lot of slots open, what the customer experience was like. And then of course, when there were more slots open, what the customer experience was like, issues in both ends and improvements we had to be continually making. And again, with the extreme speed. So it really pushed our teams, I think, to figure out how to work faster, how to be more agile. And we were lucky we were an agile shop because we had empowered teams and they felt a sense of mission, I think, beyond what you might normally, because I think they honestly, some of them, and it was true, like they were helping their neighbors, <laughs> helping our country find our path out of this by giving access to vaccines and testing. So it really changed how we operate. And even into this year, with the at-home COVID tests coming into much more importance as we kind of headed into the end of the year, and we when the Biden administration said people could get those for free, we actually, within three weeks, launched wow. you know first-of-a-kind free at-home COVID test flow on CVS.com where you could go through, put in your insurance, and if you hadn't had your eight tests already this month, we would allow you to buy your eight tests for free, and you could either pick it up in the store or we would ship it to you. And we did that in, in three weeks, which was unprecedented because it was a whole new flow that had to leverage capabilities within our our retail fulfillment side of the house and our pharmacy side of the house. And it was just a great, to me, sign of how all this learning we had done and about how to do this work quickly, how to work together, yeah, you know, came together in a way where we could put something in place in three weeks. So, you know, let's dig into that because that's a, like such an impressive outcome in such a short time. And I think even at companies like Branchesides and we're a lot smaller, when there's a big change, like adapting to it and launching something incredibly uh, fast, it's something that we still like work on it. And to hear that from an organization that's so much bigger and so many more moving parts, like what advice do you have for other leaders who are trying to drive the kind of like adaptability that you guys did in this case? Because it's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about this a lot. It's like, how do we bottle this up and take it to yeah. other things? <laughs> so my team talks about this a lot. I think first and foremost, having a singular focus really helped. Something that the whole company, every other team, everybody knew it was important. So if you get the attention you need, and I'm sure this is true in any company, but especially in big companies, right? We can't launch something in digital without getting support from lots of other teams and coordinating yeah, exactly. across lots of functions. So that singular focus does help, which leads then us to say, well, you can't always have just one focus. Even small companies can't have one focus. But how do we have fewer focuses so that our teams can at least get a little bit of that feel of everybody rallying around something? I think simplified rallying calls too. That was the other piece. Sometimes you have focus, but you don't have a simple goal and objective. So trying to make it clear what that simple rallying cry is. And then the third thing is just having empowered teams that know that they're given the ability to go figure out how to solve it and have the customer in the center of the solve, not the business in the center of the solve, but the customer in the center of the solve. 
So those three things I think you can take to other things, but admittedly, it's going to be hard to have those all layer up to the same level of speed and acceleration um, across all projects. It's still really cool. Any other examples? You know, you've launched so many products across your career. Is there a project or feature story that really sticks out to you as a highlight or a campaign that you ran that did really well and you feel a lot of pride? Yeah, sure. I'll talk about one that's at CVS Health. You know, I wasn't the person who started it, but I am proud of it because my team started it. And I think a lot of great progress within it. It's a product we have on CVS.com called the Health Dashboard. And there was a team within digital that had this vision for a kind of 360 degree view of your longitudinal healthcare and all your data and information in one place, right? You think about it today and the consumer research shows this people have information in all different pockets. Some of it's on maybe your insurance site. Some of it might be on your, you know, if you work through a hospital system, their website, your provider's website, a lot of people keep offhand Excel spreadsheets and other <laughs> things, especially for people who have a chronic illness or go through something acute where you really need to see a lot of specialists and you're trying to track all the information. It's very, very complicated. So there was a team that had a vision for kind of bringing all that information into one place in a simplified way too, giving, making it more accessible for people and more understandable, uh, more relevant. And that team was in place and starting to do work. But then when the vaccines came, we also needed to have a place for consumers to access their vax record. So this was the first time I think We all obviously were getting vaccines before the pandemic, but it was rare, with the exception of school kids, where you had to actually show a proof of vaccine, like at a restaurant. (laughs) So those codes and smart codes became really important. So we enabled us to really accelerate the growth of the dashboard in two ways. One is like we needed to get those capabilities in place there. But two, we had the benefit of people coming to the health dashboard. So we got the benefit of traffic. And then we were able to capitalize on that and add more capabilities. So today we've got your medications are there. Soon you'll have your after visit summaries if you go to a minute clinic or one of CVS's health assets. Um, And we have much bigger ambitions for it as well. But it's just, to me, it was a great success story because it, it had a vision to start with, but then it saw an opportunity to pivot to an immediate need, but then also to take that pivot and still get back to the, the long-term vision in an accelerated way that we might not have done uh, if we hadn't gotten that pivot opportunity. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's a really great example and, and, and story. Any stories that you think maybe didn't do that well, something you tried, you thought was going to do really well and then didn't. I think people learn sometimes from the mistakes. Yes. Uh, well, not mistakes, just failed trials that people share on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, and sometimes it's ideas that are maybe before or after their time, <laughs> too. I yeah. find sometimes it's not the idea, it's the the execution of it or the timing of the execution. And I was thinking back in financial services was the other space I've been in from a product perspective that I found so rewarding. In some ways, it is, you know, financial health is also equal, not, maybe not equally, but it's also up there with kind of importance to your life. And the internet and digital and mobile just changed financial services so profoundly from a convenience perspective with mobile check deposit to I think people getting more educated about where am I on my journey of financial health? Am I saving enough? Am I not saving enough? Am I investing right? Am I not investing right? And then when I was at Citibank, we did a, a couple of projects that I was super proud of, but didn't quite 
land in terms of long-term prominence. When the iPad first came out, every bank was like basically taking their mobile app and 2Xing it and putting it in a in an iPad app. Mm, yeah, I remember that. We chose to wait a second. Let's think about this new device and how are people using it? And people were typically using it more for immersive content, right? Watching videos, reading. It was not necessarily an on-the-go because it was still a tablet size. <laughs> and so we thought about, well, how could we translate this into an opportunity for us in the financial health space? Because a lot of people in using their mobile banking app, like the app, the objective is to get in and out as fast as you can. You know, get in, pay your bill, get out, or do whatever you have to do. You aren't really immersing yourself in how am I doing? How am I spending? What more should I be doing? So we built an iPad app that had a bunch of immersive capabilities, financial health content. We had some power people spending like you. So it would look at people who, you know, fit your demographic, live in your zip code and what are, how much are they spending on dining? Obviously we, it was all aggregated, but you could see if you were spending more on dining than other people like you or less on dining than other people like you. That's cool. Uh, which I, thought I was, want to see that for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we thought that was super interesting. And it got a lot of industry kudos from Forrester and others, but it just never really took hold. And I think that's because the space just moved and the devices all moved. And now really devices are used in just so many different ways and so much convergence across them. And honestly, the other one that's surprising, we had a very early version of person-to-person payments, which was another one I thought, this is great. Well, how great would yeah. it be to split the tab at dinner and the, without having to bother <laughs> the waiter or waitress? And we couldn't get traction on P2P. And now look at that. Like yeah. my kids don't do anything that's not person-to-person payments. And I think, again, it was just timing and it was the network effect. Like you really have to be in a spot where you get to that tipping point where everybody's doing it and it can scale because everyone's doing it when it requires that kind of two-sided interaction. But those, so those are two examples. And I learned a ton from both of those, like launching those capabilities, thinking about them, thinking about the customer experience and building them that were great experiences, but neither of those exist today. And that was, you know, less than 10 years ago. Really great stories. Thank you. I think what's interesting is you've been in so many different types of companies and I know you also work and advise other companies. I think one, one area that I think my team, I'm very passionate, I do on the side is like culture. How do you think about how does culture play into a company's growth? I think it's everything. I know the like the saying culture eats strategy for breakfast is totally, totally true. And look, you can have the best strategy idea. And I've seen leaders who are visionary, have the best idea, but they can't get the teams coalesce to deliver it. Or the culture is such that the teams end up not getting to that high performing state where they can really get the right work done at the right pace and that meets the consumer's needs and also figuring that out, being iterative and figuring that out. So for me, culture is everything. And a lot of what I spend my time on is just ensuring I'm listening to my team, understanding what their pain points are, right? They need to be fulfilled and happy at what they're doing. They need to feel productive. And sometimes we put roadblocks in their way Hmm. that make them not productive Lately, too, we've had to really focus on, you know, their health and wellness, the pace at which we're operating at. And this is true of all industries. It's just the workflows and insane, right? It never ends. Yeah. People are never unplugging. You go from one project to the next. So we've really tried to also step back and as leaders, make sure we're demonstrating, you know, that we're putting devices away at certain points in the day, that we're taking the time for ourselves, that 
trying to limit email traffic on the weekend, trying to reduce meetings so we don't take up people's daytimes in meetings so then they're doing their work at nighttime. <laughs> and then recognition. I do think a culture where people are appreciative of the work that's being done, are collaborative with each other. That's another big important point for me is collaboration because to deliver, as we were talking about before, to deliver any great digital product, you've got to have multiple teams working together. You've got dependencies on other scrum teams. You've got dependencies on the business operations. You've got dependencies on IT in some cases or data database teams, etc. So if you can't create a collaborative environment to get those things done, you'll never get all the recipe ingredients at the same time to launch the great product. And then also to make the product great, because also most people don't launch a great product on the first try. <laughs> you know, you have to get it out there, learn, and as, for as much user research as you do, and we do a ton of user research, which is great and I'm proud of, but sometimes it's not until you actually get it in production that you realize, oops, we missed on that, or people are stumbling here. So all those teams that you've collaborated with and engaged, you got you to gotta keep them going. So. I think a culture of collaboration and then recognition for that collaboration is really critical. I can't agree more. What I found is that it has been a lot harder to do some of those things in this like hybrid work environment. And some of the things that were much easier to do have really become a challenge, especially the collaboration. I'm wondering if you have any advice or, or tips on how you think you can enable that in this environment where you're not face-to-face -face every day. Yeah, it definitely has gotten harder. I totally agree with that. We actually, our team operates using a lot of safe, agile principles. And so we do a, or had been doing up until the pandemic, in-person PI planning every quarter, which was a huge investment, by the way, because we're at a very large size and having everybody travel in for that. But we found it made a huge difference on the quality of the planning and the understanding of dependencies and just the teams making sure they're truly committed to what they think they can deliver in the sprints following. And then, of course, we haven't, we had to switch to remote ones and we've gotten pretty good at it actually. Like once, you know, it took, I think, some iterative work there too, but we got good at it and could run a whole PI planning week with various virtual meetings and get the teams from, you know, kickoff meetings all the way through to final readouts and that went pretty well. We're actually just going to be back to in-person planning this summer. We've got it planned, knock on wood, <laughs> that it all, <laughs> all continues to work out. And it'll be interesting to come out of that and then compare because I think people are sometimes feeling pretty good about, well, it works remotely. Like we got it done. Look at how much we've delivered. Like it works because we've almost forgot about what it was like before. You know, as enough time has passed. I agree. That I think when we get back into it and then being able to compare and contrast, it will be interesting to, to see what people think coming out of that. But look, even with in-person planning, we're probably not going to be fully in-person. We're always going to be hybrid. And maybe there is something positive in that if we could get to that hybrid world where we get the best yeah, of both sides. Because <laughs> there are positives. And especially, as I'm sure we'll probably talk about talent in this space, you know, it's a war for talent. And one of the things that's great to attract and retain talent, especially female technical talent, is some flexibility. So hybrid gives you that. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think there's a world in which we're ever all going to be back in the office. But I also don't think as a world where for a remote is ever going to work. I think the person-to-person, in-person interactions are so important. And if you have strong 
once, then it holds you for a while. So I completely agree. Yeah, that's a good point too. I think it is, you know, we brought on so many new employees during the pandemic. So they haven't actually really met any of the people that they've worked with, we have people who've never met their manager in person. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you're right, when we first went into the pandemic, most people had established relationships that they could ride on. And now we've gotten to a point where the mix of the team, you know, a lot of them still have those past relationships, but some are still building them. And it's really hard to build the relationships remotely. It's just not the same, right? The casual conversation you have in a hallway or a in the kitchen. It's just not the same. Yeah, completely agree. Let's maybe move towards more of the future. And what do you think about continued growth for your team? What are some, you know, strategies that you think are going to keep working and where are some new opportunities? Yeah, sure. Well, I think for us, what the benefit of the pandemic period, in addition to us learning how to kind of move faster, was also that digital became much more accepted in the healthcare space. And I think healthcare was one of the laggards from an industry perspective from leveraging digital capabilities, or it was still early days in that happening. And it was happening, but but moving through what happened to us in the pandemic, I think really accelerated that. So we have a big opportunity, CVS Health, to really play a big role in the kind of continued transformation of digital health. And it's really about a lot of things that I think make a big difference to people. One is convenience, accessibility, personalization, simplification, like those things digital can do for healthcare that, you know, probably would be harder to happen without digital. And there's big opportunities on those fronts. That's a big focus for us is how do we really chart the course there, leverage and build on top of what we've already built for some of the needs that we had during the pandemic. And then just, yeah, make it easier for customers to to take advantage of healthcare, which will mean people will do it more and then also get more healthier. Like there's a very true virtual (laughs) positive cycle in this space. And I think about things, what we've been doing Now that we've got the ability to schedule minute clinic appointments, we just recently exposed that through our API through Google. So when you search for minute clinic on Google, you'll be able to, you can literally from there book your appointment. So making it super easy to book an appointment. We're trying to make it super easy to to check in when you get there, do all your check-in before you actually get to the minute clinic. We've got a tool called Visit Manager that enables you to take care of all that stuff because wouldn't it be, isn't it a dream when you can just walk right in and see the doctor not have to fill out paper forms and (laughs) wait a half an hour to see somebody. Those are things digital can uniquely do and what gets me excited. And then there's things that are even higher order than that. So we think about wearables and all the data that we track on ourselves and how to really put that in to use, both for you as an individual, but even further to your provider network. So we have an application that we sell through our Aetna business called Attain, which enables you to track all your your healthy activities and earn rewards for those healthy activities. And gamification, I think, has a huge opportunity in the healthcare space. And we just launched it for Android. So now we've got iOS and Android, which I think will really help scale it. So that's one I'm super excited about. So a lot of it's around healthcare and how do we use digital to make it better for people and for us leverage our omni-channel footprint as well. 85% of Americans live within 10 miles of a CVS. And that's our unique opportunity. Like digital is a complement to omni-channel or to, to the other channels. 
So figuring out how to make you have a great digital experience, go processing your refill, and then you can just breeze in and pick it up if that's what you want to do versus you can also get it delivered. But having all those choices for consumers that make it convenient, make it how they want it, and leverage the footprint we have is kind of our sweet spot and our focus going forward. Awesome. That's really <laughs> cool. I love it. And I, I will definitely try the app. Yes. It sounds cool and something that I think I get very motivated by by being able to track my stuff. So yes. I love it. Yeah, so you're, a lot of people are that way, right? The gamification yeah, of it. A hundred percent. All of a sudden makes you want to do it. <laughs> We've got to learn a lot about your career. What's one thing that maybe people wouldn't be able to find on LinkedIn that would help our audience get to know you better? Yeah, so I grew up in Michigan. And I know often people think about like how transformed they were by one of their parents. And I, I actually had the fortune, my dad was an entrepreneur and business person. So a lot of, I think, what I got from him has been super helpful for me as I've grown in the business world. But it's actually the combination of that plus my mom, <laughs> you know, who is a exceptionally empathetic, really high emotional quotient person in terms of how she manages her relationships and the people around her. And I think for me, like what's helped me grow isn't just like isn't just like the what to do. In fact, a lot of times I don't even know the exact best answer of what we should be doing, but I know how to make the teams feel, listen to, positive, gather all that input, remove their roadblocks, really be empathetic to what they need to be successful. And I really think I got that good combination from my mom and my dad. That's awesome. <laughs> and it served me well. Yeah, and it's who I am. <laughs> I just like really cool because it actually pushed me into next question, which is, you know, I think you are an awesome leader and you've, you know, you've had a successful career. What advice do you have for your basic younger self or someone like trying to get and once they, I want to be a digital leader one day. And it feels like your previous answer is the beginning of the answer to this question, <laughs> but you know, can you build up more of that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, and it's like, you're right. It is a good <laughs> follow-up to that. And for me, in fact, I was thinking about one of my mentors at, at IBM, so kind of a recent mentor. And I think he finally got through to me to not worry about keeping everybody happy, having everyone like you and doing things the way other people around you do them, like that it's okay to have like your unique style that maybe balances things in a different way than some other leader, but it's authentically you. You know, he finally got me to realize like, that's just is who I am. This is authentically who I am. This is how I lead teams. It's how I do the work. And, and it works okay. <laughs> like, like I think the proof points there. It doesn't, there's no single recipe, but I think a lot of us try to find a single recipe and look at others around us and think like, well, I should be acting like that. And I got to make sure that I make that person likes me. And you, sometimes you think to be likable, you need to be more like the other people around you. And I think that isn't always true. So yeah, I definitely have tried to kind of stick with my authentic self. I wish it's funny because I think it's one of my advice, pieces of advice for others, but it took me so long to get here. I think even in the early days of branch, you're like, oh, but it's your own company. I'm like, yeah, but I had three male co-founders and I tried to be like them. Then one day I did a 360 and I was like, I couldn't recognize what people said. And I was like, this is not who I am. And it took me so long to like, maybe in the past year or two, when I started really accepting who I am and that I'm great at some things and not so good at others. So I love that piece of advice. I think yeah. it's so hard 
to do, but I think the earlier in your career, you can get to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and you're right. Cause it takes a building up the confidence, I think, and why probably took us to later in our careers to be able to say that to ourselves. But honestly, it might serve people better even earlier. And, and look, you can put around you people who are good at the things you're not good at too. And that's also a known strategy for getting ahead and growing. Yeah, totally. And just even rely on your peers or your managers on like, I'm very bad at details. So I remember I used to have a manager and I always ask him to just proofread the really important yeah. emails and he didn't mind. He was really good at that. And I was good at a lot of things he wasn't. So I think finding the people on your team, whether below you, above you, parallel to you and, and asking for help, I think it's very hard because sometimes we think, oh no, if you ask for help, they're going to think I'm not that great. Right. Uh, but actually I think it's, it makes you better. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I love that advice. And honestly, it keeps a, it keep, it creates a team. That's what a team is, and that's what, yeah. all of us just want to be part of a great team. You yeah. know? So, well, this was awesome. We usually end with three fun, semi-random questions. Yes. So uh, I think it's time for a lightning run. Yeah. Okay. If you had had to delete all the apps on your phone, and you could only keep one, what would you keep? I would keep my grocery app, which is Fresh Direct. Uh, so, okay. Uh, to me, like healthy eating starts with my ability to have a killer app where I shop for healthy food items. It's my go-to. That's awesome. Uh, where are you based? I'm in New York City. Okay, got it. Yeah. I was going to recommend my favorite one, but it's only in the Bay Area. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's good eggs. It's good eggs <laughs> for those listening. I'm sure I would love to try that. Maybe it'll make its way out here. <laughs> I, they probably will. They're doing really well. They're doing, they're, they're definitely expanding. That's great. Okay. Next one. If you had an app that allowed you to talk to one animal or one type of animal, what would you pick? It would be a bear. Wow. <laughs> I can explain it though. So, cause I don't have any pets, so I couldn't do the, any pet card on that one, but I came face to face with a bear actually probably a couple of years ago now. And it was just the most terrifying thing for me. And of course, I did all the things you're probably not supposed to do in terms of like the interaction. And you ran. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, ran. <laughs> like, horrified. And now it's been really hard for me to be in the wilderness, always fearful that I might, you know, encounter <laughs> another bear. And there, you've probably been reading like they've Unfortunately, bears are getting into a lot of habitats that they wouldn't normally be in. But so if I could talk to them, I'm sure I could just reason with them. <laughs> you know, they probably don't want to eat me. I'm probably not that delicious. So that would probably help me cope with um, the fear that uh, that has definitely affected my ability to be in the outdoors. <laughs> That's a very good, uh, definitely very original answer. I don't think we ever heard bears before in the 60-something episodes we've done. <laughs> Okay, and then what's an unlikely app on your phone that would surprise us and help us learn something new about you? Yeah, so I have an app on my phone that helps me manage my vacuum. So during the pandemic, I got so into cleaning and I do find it kind of therapeutic. There's something about cleaning your house, right? It's a very before and after, super yeah. clear, you know, and you feel so accomplished, like I did that. And I've been investing in all sorts of equipment and I got this great new cordless vacuum that also has a, a app, you know, connects to your Wi-Fi and then it tracks like how much dust you've collected and how many times you've used it and wow. um, all sorts of probably useless information, except that for whatever reason, it makes me feel so amazed at how much dust I can collect in my own residences. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I thought when you said vacuum, I thought it was like a Roomba and the app 
allowed to see where the room but i've never heard of an app for a regular vacuum that's cool the vacuum's called tinico if i'm pronouncing it right but it's highly highly ranked on like wire cutter and yeah consumer reports and stuff i mean it has an app that's cool it has an app (laughs) wow okay well tracy this was so fun i loved all the stories love to get to know you better learn a bunch of new things so thanks so much for being with us today oh thank you mata i really enjoyed it and really exciting to have gotten to share my thoughts with you awesome thank you so much for listening if you like the show please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career until next time keep growing keep growing